My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. Hello and welcome What The Finances to another episode of the What The Finance podcast, where we talk to experts to help gain a greater understanding about what is happening in the world of finance, investing and markets. So on today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome Stephen Van Meter, who's an educator and influence in the macro investing world uh, with more than 20 years of experience in the financial services industry, uh, which is, includes the design and management of macro strategies. So Stephen, thanks for joining the podcast today. Anthony, it's a real pleasure. Um, thank you for inviting me on your show. You're welcome. And, and I'll, I'll pull it, I'll say it straight away. You have a really good uh, YouTube channel, which I really enjoy. And I don't know how you do it, but you upload videos every day about really important things. So everyone should check that out. But anyway, uh, I'll, go, I'll go straight into the question. So uh, it seems almost every week we're getting this new, like something's collapsing or something's, you know, there's a new crisis happening. You know, this week was the power, there's been the yen, we've seen the, the housing market, stock markets, commodities. I guess so, in your opinion, is it really this bad or what do you think's happening? <laughs> Yeah, actually, I do think it is this bad. And and if we look at kind of what the catalyst is, it's the dollar. I mean, here we are in a global reserve currency. The dollar is the gold standard of the system. And, you know, we, the best way to kind of explain it is we think about Goldilocks and the three bears, a story. And, you know, they're looking at the, they're getting ready to eat the porridge. There's one that's too hot. There's one that's too cold and one that's just right. And that's the same thing you want with a dollar. You don't want it to be too high. You don't want it to be too low, but you kind of want it to be about just right. And it can fluctuate around a little bit. But when it gets too hot and it's really getting too hot now, it really causes problems in the global financial system. And so that kind of leads us to the question then of well, why? What, why is the dollar going up? Is it because the Fed's tightening? Is it because other central banks aren't tightening fast enough? And the real truth of this, Anthony, and this is really what's kind of the problem, what we're seeing across a lot of other asset classes is, we have a global dollar shortage. And I know you had my friend Jeff Snyder on and, and talked about that recently, but that's really what the story is, is there's a shortage of dollars in the system. And what you're seeing is everything reacting to that. Uh, and I guess we could go, you know, we, as you said, we mentioned a bit with Jeff, but why do you think there's a shortage? I guess, you know, there's QT happening, there's all these other factors, but what's your hypothesis and why that's happening, why this is happening? Well, the, the problem we have with dollars is is how they're created. So we have to always go back and you think, how are new dollars born? And a lot of people don't know. They think, okay, a central bank is, is printing them. In this case, it would be the Fed. And the Fed actually has no authority to print money. I mean, they can print some physical cash to meet the needs of the banking system. But in terms of printing new dollars or digital dollars, despite you know what Fed Chair Powell said on 60 Minutes a couple of years ago, they have no power to do that. Quantitative easing is not money printing. So the question then is, again, where does money come from? And it is born when people borrow. So out of the commercial banking system, out of what Jeff will say, the euro dollar system, which is a foreign bank outside, you know, just any bank outside the U.S. that issues a dollar denominated loan. That's how dollars are created. And the problem is we're not creating enough of them. And then when we kind of look back to what quantitative easing did, and the pandemic in the kind of really will cement this is 
to, to save the U.S. economy, what did the U.S. government do? They, they borrowed a bunch of money, which when we borrow here in the U.S. is predominantly from foreign sources. Now, sure, there's people, you know, domestic, you know, mute funds and pension funds and individuals that purchase it. But by and large, more than half of all borrowed money comes from outside the U.S. And then what did we immediately do or what did the Fed then do is they did something called quantitative easing. And when you understand what that does is it takes a bank deposit and it forces the bank to use that deposit to buy a treasury security or a mortgage-backed security. So what you have is a government spent all this money out into the real economy. People got the money. They went down to their bank. Well, I mean, it was electronic, but it was deposited in their account. And then the Fed comes along to the bank and says, hey, you need to take that deposit and buy a treasury security because we're going to turn around and buy that treasury security for you from you. So the, the issue is why is there a dollar shortage is because effectively the United States government sucked all this money out from the other part of the world to put it into the commercial banking system. The Fed put it on lockdown and it didn't get cycled back to the rest of the world. And that's where we see dollar shortages because here in, in the U.S., I, I don't see a dollar shortage, right? I, I can open up my bank account and say, well, there's, there's dollars in there. But outside to the other part of the world, well, there is a dollar shortage. There's a lot of dollar denominated debt that gets built up because, again, the dollar is a reserve currency. And what do they need to pay on those dollar-denominated loans? They need dollars. What do we need to run you know, global commerce? We need dollars. What do we need to buy commodities to produce things? Dollars. There just isn't enough of them. So you're seeing a potential dollar squeeze occurring or like uh, it could happen in the future? Or have you already seen that? Well, we're seeing it now. I mean, th- that's why the dollar, yeah, I don't know where the DXY is today, but, um, you know, somewhere north of 112 and looking like it's going higher. And that's all it's indicating is, you know, we just don't have enough of these things. And that's why you're, you see this panic in the treasury market. A lot of it is due to the Fed raising rates, other concern for inflation. The other side is, when you look outside the rest of the world and people hold their dollar savings in treasury securities because they're very liquid. Now, in a, in a dollar denominated system, you don't want to be selling your treasury securities. That's like your savings account. And a lot of people kind of may be struggling with that. But think of it. It's easier to think if we were on a gold based system and you had gold, do you want to give it up? Well, no, of course not. In fact, if you're giving up your gold, that means something's not going right. Same thing with your savings account. You know, you lose your job. You have some savings you and you use it but when it gets down to a certain level whoa panic sets in well this is the same thing in the of the global system is they need dollars they start selling the treasury securities but that becomes the alarm of like wait a minute this isn't how the system should work in fact it's an indication that demand is falling off because if the global economy is humming along and doing what it's supposed to do new dollars are constantly being born and created and that means the global economy is expanding when we see a dollar shortage, particularly in this case outside the U.S., we see foreign central banks starting to sell treasury securities. It's a strong indication of a contracting global economy and deflationary money. Yeah, and I guess you know if you're an asset owner, what you or if you you need dollars, you'd probably sell the most risky assets first, and then it, if you're really desperate, then you'd you'd sell those bonds. So is that what you're thinking is happening? Like we've seen the markets go down, and now people are having to sell their bonds. It's almost like the last resort. Well, what we see is foreign central banks. Uh, they're the ones that are holding these you know treasury reserves. They start selling you know bonds, and then there's a certain point that says, "Hey, wait a minute." 
you know, we don't want to sell any more of these. And then other people, you know, um, you know, may say citizens and businesses and foreign outside the U.S., they need dollars and they've been maybe selling some treasury securities. And then they go, wait a minute, this is not what we want to do. And they start selling stocks. And so what we've actually seen is foreign investors have been big buyers of treasuries, but not enough to offset this, you know, just upward pressure on yields and the demand for dollars right now. Now, at some point that will change. Maybe we'll see, you know, China devalue their currency. Maybe we'll see other countries try to, you know, devalue and adjust the peg. Something is either going to break or somebody's going to come in and do the, you know, a deval, which is kind of the the move of last resort, but something's going to happen. And you kind of almost sense that something's about to break. Yeah, especially when you see, you know, commodity prices quite high, especially energy. So not only is dollar going up, energy prices going up. So it's like that double whammy. Yeah, but we're also seeing energy prices start to come down. And and of course, we know crude oil price is priced in dollars, but that's also an issue of demand. So if we see energy prices coming down, that's actually telling us the global economy is slowing down. Now, from an inflation standpoint, if you're a central banker, if you're Jerome Powell, you're like, all right, yeah, okay, good news. You know, oil prices are coming down. Then that means gas prices are coming down. That means inflation is going to come down. But it also means that we're going to see more unemployment claims. It's kind of interesting that when you look at a chart of the dollar, or not the dollar, but of unemployment claims and oil, what you see late cycles, you see oil, you know, if it's rallying really high, the economy starts to reject and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we can't afford these higher energy costs. And next thing you know, you start to see some layoffs and then oil prices start coming down as you get closer and then into the recession. And then so you know, all of a sudden unemployment claims are rising and people say, well, that doesn't make sense. If energy prices are coming down, you know, why, why would that happen? Well, you got to understand in high periods of high inflation, everybody's demanding wage, wage increases. You know, you have rent increases, you have insurance increases, everything's prices going up. Well, if you're an energy company, you need prices to stay high and keep going. If they start going down, well, you start losing money. Next thing you know, you're laying off. And of course, energy companies are just massive employers, not just directly, but just indirectly into the economy. And next thing you know, this all flows downhill. So really, when we start to see energy prices come down at this point, you know, we can cheer that inflation is coming down, but it's not a good sign for the economy. So you think we're going to see a recession quite soon, or we might even already be in one? <laughs> You know, there's a good chance that, Anthony, that we are already in the early phases of recession. That would be pretty consistent. What we're not seeing yet, which may be kind of the last shoe to drop, is unemployment claims to rise. I suspect over the next couple of months, we'll start to see that, particularly with the stock market being down. A lot of Americans base their financial decisions on how wealthy they are. So when the market's up, you know, they, they will spend more because they perceive the market's going to go higher. So they'll spend, spend, spend. When it comes down, it, it, immediately it doesn't change, but there's all of a sudden it's, hey, the market's not going back up or it's going to keep going down. Well, next thing you know, their spending habits completely change. And then, you know, you start to see disinflation, recession prop up. And that's even a bigger challenge because right now we've got just massive amounts of inventory sitting here in the U.S. Uh, some of my inside contacts, uh, they're telling me, you know, warehouses are stuffed full. We're hearing from retailers, shelves are full. And the worst part isn't that we just have the inventory here is they ordered so much more it's on the way and they don't know where to put it they have nowhere to go with it and then we're already hearing you know rumors from these wholesalers and retailers who don't want to comment about it 
the foot traffic's down, sales are down, and that's a big problem because this is a time of year when people are getting ready to go into holiday spending and they need all this inventory to clear it. And if they don't, it's gonna be huge discounts in an attempt to get rid of it. Again, more signs of deflation. Yeah, I guess especially in the UK and Europe when electricity prices are going up as well. So there's, you know, as you said, people have less of that discretionary money that they can use on many of the items. Yeah, I honestly don't know how Europe, if Europe gets out of just a recession, I mean, my hat goes off to them. Uh, if More likely, I mean, I'll be, I'll be surprised if they don't go into recession. And I don't mean to say that negatively. I'm just saying energy shocks like this are just horrendous on economies. I mean, next thing you know, households, they can't afford to pay bills, businesses shut down, uh, more employment. And then if you can't get the energy you need, even if you're willing to pay the price, I mean, it just spirals out of control. It's just not a good situation what's going on there and and the idea that if, if europe you know were to enter a, a very nasty recession that the rest of the world is going to be immune yeah, good luck with that um, there's plenty of demand uh, in terms of european consumers that drive the global economy uh, their manufacturing base supplies you know just things to the global economy we need them they need us and if they go down well they may be first but everyone will follow so it sounds concerning. So if a lot of these retailers and if a lot of these businesses were to go down, you think that would have quite a big impact on sort of banks and the stability of banks. Do you see there being a potential, I guess, what we saw in 2008 or do you think they're quite stable at the moment? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, and that, that's exactly kind of what happened in 2008 and This happens in late expansions. There's just massive amounts of debt. You see, you know, central bankers get all, you know, worked up about inflation because they maintain these loose money policies for so long and they were afraid to raise rates and they finally start getting, you know, like, okay, we're going to do it. And next thing you know, it just start the economy starts to slow down and you have all of this debt built up and you don't have enough you know, economic output to service that debt. And so, yeah, I see the same thing. I mean, you would think that perhaps the pandemic and all this, you know, free money that was dumped on taxpayers around the world, you could have been used for something good, perhaps paying down debt. And at first they did. And then they're like, hey, this money's not going to stop. And so they borrowed like crazy. And now, of course, what we're finding out is there, this wasn't the beginning of some you know new bull market. It wasn't the beginning of a new expansion. Perhaps it was just the pandemic was just a blip in the midst of the fact that before the pandemic, the global economy was headed into recession. We conveniently had the pandemic, was stalled it off. But due to all this policy and now overly aggressive central bankers, you know, tightening policy, uh, we're headed right back down that path, maybe even faster. So, yeah, I, I don't think the banks get out of this uh, unscathed at all because, you know, obviously they've lent money. And the longer these expansions go, what they will do is, you know, they'll go from their top tier clients, you know, that, that just don't need money. Hey, I'm already rich enough. I've already borrowed a bunch. I've bought a bunch of assets. Hey, I'm doing okay. And I don't want any more money. Even though the banks say, yeah, well, will you please borrow? Because we know you can pay it back. So the banks start going down, you know, their credit tiers. And next thing you know, they're doing a lot of subprime loans that we don't see. And then next thing you know, those are the first to go into an all out crisis at a time where you start thinking about, can the Fed react here? Well, they've been pretty clear as long as inflation stays up or not. I mean, it, all, something interesting is going to happen, and I don't mean interesting in a good way. Yeah, it's concerning to think that the Fed are so hawkish on what they're going to do. And as you said, there's so many indicators saying that we're going into this recession, and inflation is oftentimes quite a lagging indicator. So unfortunately, it seems like we'll experience a lot of pain before we actually get inflation to go down, I think. 
Well, yeah, inflation is absolutely a lagging indicator. It's one of the most lagging indicators uh, the government you know, pr- uh, produces. And it's not intentionally. It's just you know, very difficult to measure. And it gets measured with a lag. So we, you know, I like to say the Fed is doing monetary policy by looking through the rearview mirror. You know, they've got, you know, black tape all over all the windows and they're trying to drive the car forward, you know, looking backwards, but that's what they have. I mean, we don't know, you know, the future. We just don't know enough. And we, there's, it's not enough real time data to help the Fed make policy. I mean, I know we have data, but it just isn't enough. And so the reason we, of course, see, you know, the high probabilities that, periods of high inflation lead to recessions is really simple is you get to the point where the wages and everything else is not sustainably growing fast enough for consumers to afford those higher prices. They start to reject them. The feds are then still tightening, you know, this for various central bankers because they're, they're, you know, focused on their look back. And then next thing you know, the, the economy starts to slow down, inflation comes down, and the Fed finds themselves, you know, behind the curve. But by then it's too late because all of a sudden, you know, the layoffs are hitting and then consumers are now saddled with, you know, lots of debt and no prospect of paying it back. That flows back down to the banking system. You get a credit crisis, financial crisis, central bankers slash rates. I mean, it's the same thing because it's how it always seems to go. Yeah, it always repeats itself. So if we link back to the dollar, if that were the case, because I look at the US and, you know, it's hard to believe but it's almost in a better position than, I guess, the UK, Europe, China, many other countries. Do you think we'll see the dollar continue to rise and almost spiral up to strength? Or what's your opinion on, on that matter? Yeah, I think the dollar absolutely goes higher. And one of the challenges is because we come back to how is new money created? It's through lending. Well, if you think about it, do people will people borrow at higher interest rates? Well, sure they will. But will you get more? Where do you get more money created at higher rates or lower rates? The answer is at lower rates. That's why for the last 40 years, we keep seeing central bankers and policymakers, you know, driving rates lower to create credit, create credit. You know, here in the U.S., mortgage rates, I think today are now over 7% on a 30 year. I could be wrong, but they're, that's very, very high. Now, will there be people that are going out today and signing Baypork and buying a home and getting a mortgage out that rate? Yes. Will there be a substantial number of them? The answer is no. And that's the problem is we need lower rates to create new money. And of course, that's the problem is that's why, that's why higher rates stall out the economy. And that's what the Fed wants to do. That's their intention is they're trying to pull back on this aggregate demand curve. They're trying to slow the economy down. The problem at the same time is they're slowing down money creation at a time when the global financial system is screaming, hey, we're already short dollars. What are you doing here? You're killing us. And that leads to deflationary crashes. That's why you know Jeff Snyder, no doubt, when he was on your show, talked about the inverted yield curve, the inverted euro dollars futures curve, the fact that the front end, the four-week bill rate is inverted against the Fed's overnight reverse repo rate. You see all of these inversions and all the bond market is saying, is look, yeah, we're rates may be going higher, but what we're telling you is the Fed's making a huge mistake. Either the Fed capitulates or something breaks. That's what these curves are telling you. There's more pain in the future. And that is what's scary. And so, yeah, I think the dollar does go absolutely higher. Uh, there's nothing at this point short of China or someone else coming out and devaluing against it to stop that move. Yeah, I was talking to some people at work and they're like, yeah, we're definitely not going to the US anytime soon. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to get over, we wouldn't even be able to stay in a hotel <laughs> just because the pound's been absolutely crap, destroyed. So I guess if we look at the markets or I guess the economy in general, where do you see the weakest link? Where do you, because I guess that's probably where we'll see the catalyst and whether it be a crash. Is there anywhere in particular 
that you're watching? Yeah, I'm really kind of uh, focused on, I mean, of course, we see the bond market selling off very unprecedented move there. We see a huge disconnect between the fundamentals of the economy and the bond market. What we see is a bond market really reacting to, you know, central bankers, the, the bond market. I mean, just say, hey, we're going to keep pushing rates higher and the bond market. Just, you know, <gasps> you know, like, oh, my God. And so it's, it's struggling because fundamentally what we should see is yields falling here. In fact, if we go back and look at look at the data over the last several decades, when we see slowdowns in the economy and we can look at, you know, the manufacturing sectors, uh, we can look at the Fed surveys, the regional surveys, we can look at the ISM, we can look at the S&P Global, which used to be uh, the market uh, purchasing managers indices. If we look at all that data and what do we know is right now, historically, Fed should be paused. At the, the least, they should be like, hey, you know what, we're, we're, we may be pushing this too hard, we're going to take a breather here. In many cases, they're starting to cut a little bit. Right now, they've got you know both feet slammed on the brake pedal here for the economy. When we go back far enough, there's not a lot of cases they've done this. It was like they learned their lesson uh, in the you know, late 70s, early 80s, because they drove a double dip recession by continuing to tighten policy. And they had a massive recession and then followed by another massive recession before they ultimately you know capitulated and drove rates down. So I'm really concerned about the bond market. But I think at some point, it starts to change its tune. When it does, though, that's not bullish for equities. I mean, we haven't even seen a lot of selling in equities. A lot of people think we're at the bottom of a bear market. Reality is we're more likely in the beginning of a bear market. We don't see bottoms until the Fed's almost done cutting or have gone all the way where the market says they're done. And we don't see the market bottom until the, the yield curve is done steeping or very steep. It's not even started. Rates haven't even started going down. So, you know, you start to look at the picture and you say, yeah, interest rates are causing a huge problem in the, in the not only U.S. economy, all around the world. And stocks are usually the last to fall. And they're looking like that they're not going to hold up too much longer. So do you think, as you said, a lot of central banks, especially international central banks, are selling their bonds? Do you think maybe the international landscape might stabilize a bit and then the U.S. would potentially fall? Or do you think it'll be like dominoes one after the other? Um, at this point, I think I'm more likely to see a domino effect. Nope, nobody seems to be doing anything about the dollar shortage. I, I mean, there's a lot of denial because of inflation. I mean, it's it, the problem. You know, inflation is a big problem politically, and consumers hate it to begin with. I mean, we tolerate. Okay, yes, we know prices are going to go up, but and as long as my wage goes up, but when it goes up too fast. And you're hearing policymakers, you know, drop this word transitory, transitory. And you're going like, it's not transitory in, uh, you know, in, in my household. Well, after a while, what happens is consumers get really tired of this. They go to the ballot. They don't care who, you know, doesn't matter whatever political party is in power. doesn't matter what party they are. It usually means the establishment party is gone. They're willing to take anybody else because the people in power are not making their life better, making it worse. That's the challenge here. You know, here in the U.S., we have the midterms coming up. We have high inflation. People are just, you know, we're, we're seeing data all the time. This is the average household, you know, and I know it's true in the UK. It's true in Europe. It's true up, all around the world. The average person around the world is broker now than they were before and has more debt. It doesn't work out too well. It doesn't lead to economic expansion. Ultimately, people will be forced to sell stocks to make ends meet. Uh, they'll be afraid to, to stay in the market because the central bankers are telling us, what do we hear from the Fed? Effectively, we want to see stocks 
stocks go down. We're doing the reversal of the wealth effect, and we're going to keep going until inflation comes down. People need to hear, the, heed the warnings. The days of the Fed put on the market, those right now are gone. Maybe they'll be back, but not until we see inflation come down. So do you think, as you said there, potentially it's not looking like a bottom. Traditionally, what would happen is once they've fully cut interest rates, that's when we normally see the bottom. So do you think that's what maybe people should be waiting for, or what's your opinion on the matter? Yeah, I mean, that's something if, if someone was looking to deploy capital, I mean, and they were specifically looking to buy stocks, that's kind of, you know, either you're going to dollar cost average in because you, you disagree with me, which is fine. I'm, there's no no problem with that at all. Um, and if you dollar cost average in, great, then you'll be okay. Sure, some of your money is going to go down, but hopefully you'll dollar cost average the whatever, whenever the bottom occurs and you'll come out ahead long term. That That's fantastic. Uh, but if you're looking to deploy a lot of capital, you, you either need to do some form of hedging risk control or at least to have the idea that what you're doing has some hedging or risk control. Because historically, you know, when you start to see the Fed change their tune, it's usually not a good sign. And in this case, we're already seeing, you know, again, these survey data telling us that, you know, the economy isn't that strong. The manufacturing basis, the services sector is not that great. Now, the official government data say, hey, everything's OK. It is done. It happens with lag. So hang tight. Next month or two, we'll likely see that turn down. And then all of a sudden, what we're going to find out is the bond market is, is going to say, hey, Fed, you're wrong. We're calling your bluff. Yields come crashing down. Something breaks. And next thing you know, the, the Fed is in full reversal along with all the other global central bankers. Yeah, it's fascinating how it works. I guess the challenge is they want to try and show that they have, uh, you know, that what they say happened. Kept talking about transitory, didn't happen. And now if they keep talking about tightening and it doesn't happen, there's going to be <laughs> pandemonium, I think. Well, you know, I also think, Anthony, there's a lot of political pressure too. I mean, you know, Congress created the Fed, they can end the Fed too. So, you know, they're t everybody's pointing the fingers as, hey, Fed, you created this inflation, which in a sense is, I'm sure they have blame there, but they weren't the ones that borrowed a lot of money and doled it out, you know, like candy on Halloween. They didn't do that. So you start thinking about, okay, well, is the Fed responsible? Well, we can look back and say, well, lower interest rates and quantitative easing really haven't created inflation, but right now they're getting the blame. And, you know, are there people in Congress that would love to end the Fed and take over their powers? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you know, what do you do if you're a central banker right now and you're maybe concerned about your independence or losing your job? You know, a lot of them are, you know, uh, they're, they're not hired into the position. They're appointed. And so they can, you know, get removed. Well, what do you do if everyone's saying, hey, it's your fault for creating inflation. We want you to bring it down. All right. You're not going to like it. I'll bring it down. You're going to be crying, but don't worry. It's happening, and that's what we see here. We, I mean, I don't know if this is the most aggressive Fed hiking cycle in history or, or darn near close to it, and we're doing it into a weakening global economy. And not only that, we're seeing all the others, for the most part, not all of them, but most of the central bankers doing it. That, see, what really concerns me, Anthony, isn't that we're tightening monetary policy. Is it during the, the pandemic, we all kind of reset countrywide down at the bottom. So it's like take, starting back at you know, the starting line of a race, because when you have an, an expansion, what you want is, hey, if one country enters a recession, you want the rest of the world in an expansion so they can recover. But we all reset to the beginning and we all kind of took off almost at the same pace. Some opened up a little bit faster than the others, but we all started the race relatively synced. Now we're sinking. Now the tide is turning. Who's going to bail us out? 
you know, policymakers right now around the world are going to be afraid to go helicopter drop money because people don't want inflation. So they might get voted out. Central bankers are afraid to do anything because they might lose their job or get the blame or, you know, it just the situation isn't good. That's my concern is we're all headed down together. No one's going to bail us out. It's very concerning. So what I've been hearing a lot as well at the moment is maybe not in the short term, I guess in longer term, people are talking about deglobalization, demographics, um, you know, I guess onshoring, all these trends that they say could actually lead to longer term, like higher inflation. Maybe not what we're saying now, but maybe four or five percent on a consistent basis. So do you see maybe deflation uh, happening in the short term and that happening long term? Or I know... Uh, Jeff really thinks, you know, it's all about monetary policy. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. Well, yeah, I think the stock market um, has a big factor here. I mean, you look at the baby boom generation, not here just in the U.S., but around the world. And and while this is not true in every country, um, because some countries are just very poor, that generation worldwide is most money of all. So the idea was these boomers were going to retire. They had all this wealth. The market was going to keep driving higher. And they were going to spend it. And, and they, boy, you talk to them, but they had no problem. I mean, they, we got vacations and cruises and golf and parties. I mean, then there's no end to what they wanted to do. And you know what? Hey, that's a great position to be in. Cut their wealth in half. Uh, they're not going to spend. I mean, I mean, you got to remember, these are children of depression era. That's what, you know, the, their parents were depression era. They know what it's like to be poor. They know what it's like to be rich, but they don't want to be poor again. You cut their net worth down, their spending is going to go completely into the reverse, and they're not going to be able to come back and spend out of fear because they too have debt. You know, they have big homes, they have RVs, they have, you know, pretty opulent lifestyles. For a lot of them, you know, you're going to see their spending cut. That's the question is, is if we see a big rebound in the market, we could see that spending come back. You see the markets go down, maybe stay down. All of them run to cash or, you know, treasuries where they're earning a lower yield. Their spending is going to grind to a halt. We won't see that demand come back. In fact, we may end up seeing a lot of them go back to work. That back 2008, round two, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> I think that's what happened. A lot of them, they didn't leave the workforce and now they've retired. But yeah, could could happen again. <laughs> Yeah, how do you fix a labor shortage? Have a recession. Guaranteed that usually works. Um, you know, drive the market down 30, 50%, and people will go back to work. Yeah, people working from home so they can, they don't have to move. They can work till they're a bit older. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So uh, I guess as someone who's had sort of 20 years uh, in, in the industry, uh, is there any, maybe not advice, but any lessons you've learned that you think will sort of put you in a good position for today and that you think other people should know about? I would tell people to study the cycles, um, you know, what typically works right now. We're not seeing uh, the bond market do what it normally does. A lot of people are saying, okay, well, the, you know, that era is dead. Interest rates are only going to go up. Here's the deal. Global monetary system has not changed. Again, we're seeing a decoupling. But take a look at the bond market and past cycles. Look at the stock market and past cycles. Come on. Whatever it is you're trading and investing in, you know, whether you're buying homes, you know, do, you know, whatever your world is, your business is, you know, there's a reason why you see a lot of businesses, a lot of households fail during recessions. They have no cash reserve. They have a lot of debt. The, the people and the particularly the businesses. And if you're a small business owner, even better, those who survive the recession and even better can advertise through it. 
their businesses, boom, coming out of it. Why? Because they were survivors. They were smart and people looked at them and say, hey, I don't know how that person made it through. I don't know how their business made it through. Boy, I'm going to I'm going to support them because, you know, I want to do business with someone that's not going to have problems down the road. So, you know, think about, you know, paying down debt, raising up cash. You know, you don't have to chase the markets. Wait for opportunity. You know, see what you can do to sustain. Make sure your household's in good shape, your business is in good shape because you want to come out a winner on this. Not you don't want to go down uh, with the ship. Yeah, I think that's a vital message. So, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess my last question, is that the message you want to leave people with or is there another message about maybe, uh, you know, what, what to expect or? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the issue with bear markets and recessions is very few people get out unscathed. Many people that think they can find out, you know, they think their job is secure. turns out maybe it's not. I mean, just you don't know. And so the reality is if, you know, Maybe you've got your side hustle. Maybe you've got a little extra debt. You know, shore up your finances because maybe you are immune. Maybe you're one of the, you know, the lucky few that, you know, you, it's, you go right through the middle of the hurricane and, you know, this barreling down on where I'm at right now. And uh, you don't even notice it. Does it? It's just a dry patch for you. You know, that's awesome if that's your position. A lot of people, they're going to get whipped around and wet. And uh, you don't want that. So put yourself in a position to come out ahead. Remember, you know, you think about recessions are an opportunity to get ahead. If you can think about it that way, you don't always have to make money in every every environment. You don't have to always do it. You sometimes you need to be strategic and plan ahead. And you know, unless you're 90 years old, then not much you need to worry about. But if you're young, uh, you'll have recessions in your life, and what you need to do is leverage them. There'll be cheap assets. There'll be opportunities. If you can take advantage of them, you'll come out a winner. Yeah, that's a great message, so Stephen. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we mentioned your YouTube channel. Is there anywhere else people could maybe find your work and what you do? Uh, yeah, they can also uh, check out a, a research project I'm working on with uh, Jeff Snyder and Tracy Shuchard. He's an energy and materials expert. Uh, they can check it out at uh, Markets Insider Pro. I'm not sure when this is airing, but it may be free for just a few days. And uh, if not, we can always uh, get a coupon code. Uh, one of us can come back on. We'll get a coupon code for your audience to uh, check it out. There is a 30-day trial. So if anyone wants to jump on that maybe missed the free part and see if they like it, uh, they're welcome to do that. But uh, yeah, have us, have one of us back on and we'll uh, we'll, do a, we'll do a promotion for all your audience. How about that, Anthony? Oh, sounds great. Yeah, you have to come back now. <laughs> you don't have a choice. <laughs> but perfect. Uh, it should go up tomorrow. So they should... So everyone, if uh, if you're watching this, go go try it out. Yeah, I, I've been reading a few of the articles and I've really enjoyed it. So, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Anthony, it was a pleasure. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading, and finance. See you on the next show.